Hello, my name is Christine Dieson and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Bass Trombonis and recent graduate of the Global Leaders Program, Adrian Nahara-Goto, who is currently a graduate research assistant at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Thank you, Adrian, for joining us today. My pleasure, Christine, and thank you very much for having me. So, I wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit more about your background with music? It's a long story, actually. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional musician. All my degrees so far have been in the music performance. I started when I was 11. Well, I started when I was 10 playing the saxophone. And then I didn't like that and switched to trombone when I was 11. And then, you know, long story short, I, I finished my undergrad in Costa Rica where I was born and raised. And then I moved to the States where I did my master's. And then I did a professional diploma. And that was two more years. And then when I was done, I, I ended up moving to Mexico where I got a full-time orchestra job. And uh, I did that for seven years. And then I did some teaching on the side, but I ended up transitioning into full-time teaching at the university level teaching music theory, music appreciation, nothing related to trombone, actually. But, you know, it was a very nice experience, like teaching this type of courses and, and teaching non-music majors as well, because you get a different appreciation of what you do and, and how the, they interact with music. And then I, I transition again into educational leadership within the institution that I was teaching. And I ended up being associate director of an academic unit, which was very rewarding, but very challenging too. And, and, and you know, it, it, it wasn't even close to playing bass trombone in a symphony orchestra, right? I, it was great. I, I learned a lot. At the same time, I was doing the, the GLP program, the Global Leaders Program. And so everything was like making a lot of sense. To I ended up applying for a doctoral program in uh, educational leadership with a concentration in higher education administration. So that's how I started, you know, as, as a musician. And, and I'm still a musician. I consider myself a musician and I will always be a musician, but I'm, I've been learning quite a different set of skills along the way. So it's, it's been very interesting. Wow, that sounds like you've lived such a very full life of being able to, you know, do so many wonderful things, not only fulfilling a passion of performing, but also being able to make a difference in someone's life through teaching. One of the things that I have a question about is what inspired you to take this journey in, in regards to being a professional musician and the different interactions you've had? Well, you know, I, I, I would say that I've had different inspirations in the along the journey i remember when i first started playing the trombone you know i had this great teacher that was a great inspiration for me and and he was always practicing and, and every time i went for a lesson he was sounding sounding better and better and better you know even though he was a professional musician he kept improving and that was a very big influence on me a very big inspiration and then as I started improving myself, um, I kept changing references, uh, so to say. So when I, when I decided that I wanted to be a professional orchestra musician, I, I started 
you know, looking for different references and I started looking for recordings of different symphony orchestras. Um, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra was a big influence on me and, and on many brass players, and, and it still is, right? But to the point that I, I ended up moving to Chicago and studied with Jay Friedman, which is the principal trombonist of the Chicago Symphony. So, and he was a huge inspiration as well, right? Like his commitment to, to making music to the best of your capacities and, you know, being always there, delivering and, and playing to the highest level possible. It, it was a big influence for me. Plus, he's a great person. He's just a great human being, and he was always willing to help students, not only with music-related things, and that, that, you know, that makes a big difference when you are looking for these kind of figures or references for your life. And then, you know, and this is something that I was actually talking about in a different conversation this morning. I, I've been blessed with very intense and all-feeling educational experiences. Even when I was little, my parents managed to enroll me in a German high school. Oh, wow. And, and you know, that was very, very different for me and my brother. You know, we were born and raised in Costa Rica, but we were going to this German high school, which a very different mindset. And that's something that I think really had a very deep impact on myself. Just the way that you approach things, the way that you learn to learn new things. I think that that was also a very key element in all this journey that I've been <laughs> living for all these years and then those educational experiences it's something that i would love more people to have right and that's i think one of the main reasons for me to transition into this degree of educational leadership and 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 part of what we did in dlp last year my idea is to somehow generate these kind of experiences for more people. And I think that a very big inspiration for me too. Wow. That was, thank you. That was really beautiful to share that. <laughs> no, really. I, I feel like that's, it's important to feel inspired. And it sounds like you ha you've been inspired by a lot of different types of people, not just like one particular profile of a person, mm -hmm. but like people that you feel that have made an impact in your life that you, you feel like it's important to reproduce that for people. So when we think about that, like through the lens of music or even just within the lens of education, how, from your point of view, what are ways that we can think about this or being able to apply this uh, within different types of educational setting? You mean to apply the, this like inspirational yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things of, you know, when you think about 
music programs or even art programs in general. And you look at how, you know, across the board, there's cuts. People are focusing more on sciences and math and not really viewing it as like a part of, oh, this is a part of the, this should be the part of the curriculum. If anything, if it's, if, if anything, it's something that, you know, we need to have in regards to being able to connect with people in a different yeah. way. That, that's a great uh, question and, and, and a great point. And it's actually something that I, I have been exchanging ideas with Eric Booth, right? You know, Eric, and, and he's, he's the father of the uh, teaching artist concept and community and collective. And, and it's something that I, I've been talking to him. And, and you know, we, we got to this conclusion that part of the reason why all these cuts are happening is that the people making the policies and making the decisions speak a different language than the language that we speak as artists. And, you know, right now we need to build different bridges and connections so that we can communicate what we need and what what we can bring to the table in their language so that they can understand the importance of what we do and the reasons behind what we do as artists, right? And after some conversations with Eric, I, I realized that part of the reason that I'm now working on a doctoral program is because I want to bring my expertise with music you know, to this academic context and somehow bridge that connection between what we do and the people that are making the decisions by generating research and research-based data so that we can go with the people making the policies and making the decisions and speaking their own language, explain to them why this is important, why this has to be part of the everyday life of children and teenagers and even adults, right? Because we bring to the world a perspective that is very different and it's very valuable too. We, we create different stories we create different ways of looking at the same things. And, you know, this creative, um, the creativity that we bring to the table is also very important for the development of the human being. But, you know, we need to somehow start talking the same language and, and understand ourselves. Yes. No, I, I agree with you on all fronts in, in regards to that, because sometimes when we think about being able to communicate something that we're passionate about, we, we let our, we have our emotions, we have our feelings, and even through the gestures that we show, or, you know, even with the language that we use, and we try to use a language that's not offensive, but at the same time, you're still trying to push something yeah. to, to happen. How do you think we can make it relevant to that particular group of people that essentially make the decisions? Mm. For yeah, that's... I guess that's, that's, that's the biggest question for us, right? And, you know, based in my experience as a teacher, and especially teaching non-music majors, you just have to make sure that whatever you do with people and art 
right? They they need to get connected and to relate to whatever you are doing. In the in the case of music, what I did in my music uh, appreciation classes at some point was putting together the pretty much the syllabus of the class. We put it together as a group. So I would ask the students, what do you want to do? Right. I would present them like like the, the um, you know, the uh, the goals of for the class. And I was very clear with them. We have to stick to this. And anything what we do has to be related to music somehow. But this is what we have to cover. Right. So I, I've invited them to be part of, of of the class or of the design of the class. Right. And, you know, it's it's a it's a risk. You never know what, what, what they would come up with. But if you give them this confidence, right, and you make them part of the decision-making, you build a connection that is very unique, and you can start pushing for different things based on what, what they are proposing. So it's very risky. But what I'm trying to say is that as long as you can make people part of the art making, right? That's a very effective way of building connections and building bridges between the different parts and also to building understanding of, of what we do. Because what I've realized is that when you are very passionate about something, in our case, music, you start taking things for granted and you start thinking that anybody around you thinks the same way as you do about that specific discipline and that's not the case that's not even the case between musicians right so we have to somehow find a way of making very evident that our passion goes beyond that passion and that it's something that anybody could relate to somehow. I, 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 I know that I'm not answering your question in a very specific way, but that's just my, my experience so far. I think it answers a point of the different aspects of the what we encounter. The thing is with connections, I, I feel yes. like I feel like sometimes it's it's difficult for some people because with education, I, at least with the Music and Language Learning Center, which is my 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 other business that I do, I know for a fact that when I interview teachers, I always say this is not transactional learning. When I say transactional learning, it's like here you go, take my uh-huh. money, right? And then yeah. you know, right, I'm going to learn something from you, type of thing. It's it's a matter of being able to actually make genuine connections of being able right. to say. Exactly with what you mentioned with your class, you're going to become involved. Your opinion matters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of times the difficulties we encounter is, is the fact that young people don't feel like they have a voice because they're in a position of like, I am going to be told what to learn. Yes. And I'm not going to be ta- taught how to think. I'm going to be taught what I need to know. And I think a lot of the things that you you say will resonate with a lot of people. And I I definitely hear you. Like we have to find more relevant ways. So that said, what were you able to find? How did that actually turn out? Like the class? I'm just curious. 
it was a very, very cool class. And we ended up putting together some episodes for a podcast because, you know, what we did, you know, they, they, I gave them some framework, right. To, for them to select the music that they wanted to explore. And, and one of the framework was since these kids were non-music majors. So one of the, or part of the framework was you have to somehow link music to your degree, right? So we, I had political science people, I had engineering people. It was a very uh, interesting combination. But for example, the, the guys that were on political science, okay, they said, okay, there is a very close relation between politics and music. And it's been like that forever, right? So they started researching a little bit and they came up with very cool examples of music where politics was very, very present. So they came up with some Chostakovich pieces, for example. And they did all, all this by themselves. I mean, I, I wasn't telling them what to look for. They had to do the research and they ended up, I'm not going to say they ended up liking the symphony that they picked, but they ended up appreciating it just because the context of the piece. And that, that made a very big difference for them because they understood that music was related to whatever was happening at that specific point of human history, right? And then I had the kids from the engineering class working with electronic music. And, you know, figuring out how that worked. And it, it was a very, I would say it, it was a risky approach, but the kids really appreciate it because they were part of the process all the time. Um, I, I think I, I lectured maybe two out of 16 sessions that we had. And the rest was just them presenting and, you know, talking to each other and interchanging ideas from from one group with the other and okay what what are the commonalities what are the differences how come this is so different than this and it, it was very cool and and they really liked it I, I got very good reviews or or feedback <laughs> from from those students because they felt like they could first of somehow they were empowered to learn and i think that's a key worth here too we have to somehow empower people to learn and we have to empower people to appreciate the arts and it's very difficult to do because you know we have you know when you go to school to study music right you start building like this ideal career in a symphony orchestra playing every week three concerts per week that could become very transactional, as you, as you mentioned. And I think that's part of the reason or one of the problems with classical music nowadays, that it is mostly, mostly transactional, right? You pay for a ticket, you go sit, listen, enjoy, and go home. But there's always like this wall between the audience and the musician. You know, there are some orchestras and ensembles that are some slowly, you know, breaking that, uh, tendency, but it's still a big tendency. 
No, for sure. I agree with everything. I think it's really beautiful. And I think also too, the fact that you trusted your students, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, all right, everyone, we're going to, you guys are going to make a class. And I'm just watching you guys do it. But you, what was great was that you trusted them. You trusted their capacities as humans and as people to be able to say, okay, it's, you guys are going to work, right? But shape it in how you would be able to engage with it. And I think that's really great. How, have you tried encouraging your colleagues to approach pedagogy in this way? And if so, do you have any ideas on how how to do that? Yeah, actually, for when I was playing in the orchestra full time, I started teaching, uh, you know, uh, on the side, and then I ended up going into full time teaching in this university in Mexico, which is called Tec de Monterrey, and it's it's a very bold institution, I would say. Uh, you know, like three years ago, they started implementing a brand new educational model, which is modeled based on competences which is, you know, very different from the traditional way of assessing things. And they even came up with this idea of different setups for classes. And they had like five weeks courses and then the whole full semester classes. And it was like like a Lego, right? Students were putting together their learning experience in a, in a very non-traditional way. And within that context, I got to teach a class on creativity. It was called... Wait a second, I have to translate. So it was immersive, creative experimentation. It was, it was for kids in semester one and two from eight different degrees. All of the degrees related to creative processes, right? But this class, I was teaching this class with two other professors. So it was three teachers teaching the same class at the same time and we had one teacher from from language one teacher from design and myself for sound and music and it was super interesting because you know for some sessions the three of us were there and the students were working on a proposal and then they have to somehow include the three different languages within the proposal and the teachers, the three of us were there in front of the class. And then students would ask questions to one of us, but then we could relate the, the, the question with some other discipline. And then the conversation, it was just, it was super intense and very, it was a learning experience for the teacher as well. So I don't, I don't even remember your question at this point. Yeah, I've been, I've been working in these kind of setups for quite a few years now mm-hmm. and it just makes sense because that's how life works right you get to interact with very different people pretty much every day and you have to be able to navigate that you know and and, and make the, the best out of any and, and uh, make it work yeah that's yeah you have to make it work right yeah and i and i think it's really great to be able to encourage that too with your colleagues not in the way that it's like this is the way to teach because this is how our society has developed i mean it could be different for other subjects too and i think the thing is like when we think about the arts and the humanities and being able to be advocates for those because you know when we think about 
music, it's not just music. We have film, we have theater, we have uh, these are, you know, ideas of storytelling, ideas of engaging with people, whether or not we pay to be entertained or we pay for that connection. And the thing is, it's I sometimes find it difficult because there's some people who are very set in their ways of being able to find like different ways of being able to convince them like, hey, you know, if we try this approach, let's just see what happens, you know, and I feel like a lot of time we we get so bound with fear of yeah. failure if it doesn't work. What if the student body does a mutiny and they're holding signs and they're going on hunger strike because they don't approve? I mean, the yeah. thing is, ultimately, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, then we we change, right? And it sounds like you've you've done a lot of that, a lot of like thought, a lot of like experimentation, like really going into it, being fearless. And that's that's like we we need more people like that <laughs> in our in our in our world, you know, because that's that's how we make the impact. That's how we make the difference. Well, yeah, you know, just two thoughts on that. First is that you actually learn by failing, right? That's when you fail is when, when you learn the most. And then, as I mentioned, I, I was blessed to study with Jay Friedman, who is the principal of Chicago Symphony. And I remember in many lessons, he would tell me, you know, if you're going to screw up, make sure that everybody knows, <laughs> right? Don't be apologetic in your playing. But I also translated that into whatever I do, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be arrogant, but you shouldn't be apologetic of what you do or, or what you say if you really think you are, or you have the elements to, to make the argument, right? I'm, I'm not even saying you're right or wrong, but if you have a strong belief about something and you have ways of backing up that opinion or that action, you should go for it and don't be apologetic about it. No, I agree. I think a lot of the time I, I, I see this with different students and different, I mean, I see this also with young professionals, you know, this fear of failure, this fear of, you know, and a, a lot of the time, at least for me, uh, to get to where I am, I've had <laughs> to make a lot of mistakes. But those yeah. mistakes, but those mistakes shaped who I became as a as a person and how I try to, you know, help others in regards to that. I think this mm -hmm. is I think this is really powerful because of the fact that even with professionals or older professionals or seasoned professionals, they experience this type of fear of failure. Oh, yeah. Failure is a really big hindrance on our society. It us to progress. So when it comes to to your students and uh, to to the people that you interact with, when you when you think about being a, a professional in today's age, you know, with digital media, we have YouTube, we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have all of yes. these like crazy things. What advice would you give to someone in regards to how how to approach a career? Because you mentioned earlier when I was in school, you had this idea of an orc being an orchestral musician. Now, I feel like the world has changed. Yeah. Well, for many of us, it has changed. And, you know, based on my experience, I would say that you need to be able to adapt, right? That adaptability is going to take you very far because, and, and, you know, this is something that I've been working on for the past 10 years. It's not like I was 
always willing to adapt. I've, I've, I've been forced to adapt. But I, I've, I would say it's been great because I was able to, you know, look to other sides and realize that there are way too many things you can do. And there are way too many things that you can do that are related to music, right? Being a full-time orchestra musician was great. And and if I could go back in time and do it again, I would do it. Because I think, for me, the orchestra is the most beautiful sounding ensemble that you can ever think of. But it's just one part of the world of music. There are way, way too many things that you could do. You could be a producer, you could be a publisher, you could be an arranger, you could be a composer, you could be um, chamber music, you, you can do, you could be a soloist, or you could combine five or 10 of these things and, and, you, and be a super well-rounded musician, right? So I think adaptability is key right now. There is access to so many resources just by clicking on your phone or your computer that you have to take advantage of that. And that takes me to the second thought, which is this growth and learning mindset that you need to have all the time. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, there's always something that you could learn. There's some, always something that you don't know anything about, right? And, and if you keep open to this idea of constant learning, it could be very rewarding for you on a personal level and even on, on a financial level, right? I've, I've been working with a software company for three months now, and this is something that I never thought I would do. And it's been a very interesting learning process that I was willing to open up to. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I'm a student there as well. And, and it's very exciting. And, you know, it's not even close to playing the trombone, right? So you just have to keep your mind open. Uh, be aware of opportunities and always be willing to learn. I think that's that's essential as well. I think that's really phenomenal advice, especially for our audiences. This idea of the growth mindset, the fact that we have so much more agency in how things turn out that, you know, when we think about the one part of acting, and I feel like acting on ideas, acting on these types of things is really important. And being able to have that mindset of being able to grow something into like a great movement. I think that's, I think that's something really valuable because I know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this with your students or students that you've worked with in the past that a lot of time people say, my, my goal is my only goal is to be an orchestral musician. My only goal is to do this. If I don't achieve this goal, that means I'm a failure. Well, that doesn't mean like they, they're not capable of getting to that level, Yes, but sometimes it's just, you know, if you're in the right place, the right time, you know? But, you know, somehow I think, at least for me, at some point, I had that type of mindset. And and it was very useful when I had it because it helped me stay focused 
it it really helped me go to places just by concentrating on that. You know, I, I because and, and maybe I was too naive when I started out playing the trombone, but my teacher told me the, the very first class after I played an F, F major scale, I, I remember it vividly. I played the F major scale and he said that, okay, that sounds okay. And he goes, from now, every time you pick up the trombone, you're going to try to be the best trombone player in the world, right? And I still remember that. And, you know, when I was 11 and I was, you know, it was a little kid and I heard that and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in for that. And I, I, I bought the idea and, and, you know, until for, for many years, I, I was concentrated on that. And, you know, you build skills when you have that kind of commitment to something, right? You build discipline, hard work, goal-oriented work you learn how to prioritize things right and yes you missed a lot of things too but i'm, I'm trying just to see the positive side of having like this unique goal in your mind but you know you get to the point in your life where you need to look for more things even you, you could be forced to look into different directions. That happened to me, right? At some point, I had to leave my, my full-time orchestra career and I, I was lost. I didn't know what to do, right? And it was a very tough moment and a very tough period of time. But somehow I ended up finding more outlets to what I wanted to do. So at the end of the day, it was a good thing. It was a bad thing that I managed to turn into a good thing. And that's another skill, too, that it's connected to resilience, right? You have to be resilient and deal with the bad situation and somehow turn it into a positive outcome. And it just takes time. But, you know, going back to the, to the initial idea, I think at some point in your life, especially when you're a young student, a very, very clear goal could help uh, could help you get into places. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and it takes a lot of, how do you say this, courage to be able to, you know, share one's failures or to share one's successes. Because a lot of the time, you know, our society, how we present ourselves to, you know, on social media or whether we, how we present ourselves to the orchestra or when we have to do things with television or social media, there's always this one part that we have to present, you know. But at the same time, it's like we lose sight of the fact that it's exactly with what you said there was this one moment and the and it's like you know when when we think about life it's kind of like this movie right the movie doesn't have all these like bad moments but in order for us to move to the next part of our lives the bad moments sometimes give us clarity of what we actually need and the actual things that we we can do the potential of what we we can share with people and i think that's something that's really really important so yeah I think now that you mentioned social media, I think we we need to somehow humanize our societies again. And the arts are a very effective way of doing that. Because you know, when you I've I've gone to concerts 
where I see people cry, right? They're just sitting in the audience and you can see them cry. And it's not like you're going to approach them and ask them what's going on. Maybe you would, I don't know. But, um, you know, you can tell that the fact that they're sitting there in a concert and the experience they're having, it's touching some nerves, right? And uh, the power of music is able to do that. Same thing with dance or same thing with painting. So I think going back to the, to the teaching artist concept, one of the main homeworks that we have as teaching artists is to rehumanize uh, the people because, yeah, we, are, we need that for sure. Wow. No, thank you. I, that's, that's really great. And that's something that I'm also going to think about, you know, after, after we talk about what I can also do to make music or make art more humanizing or more human to human. I guess you could say that. <laughs> no, but this, this is really great. Adrian, this was really lovely. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your experience and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you continue to do for your students and for, for the arts and music. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. My pleasure.